Good evening and welcome to another edition of Gateway to Baseball Heaven. I'm your host, Daniel Shoptal, C70 at the bat, at C70 on Twitter with me, as always, Tara Nichols from uh, Birds on the Black and at Tara Woman on Twitter. We're coming to you after a Cardinals win. Not only the Cardinals win today, Tara, they scored runs. Wow. I wasn't sure they remembered how to do that after Big the last day. Big uh, day. <laughs> like three three different shutouts this week, right? Yeah. Four? Too many, too, too many. many shutouts, too many, um, to too many track. scoreless innings consecutively, especially for a team that has the kind of firepower that it does. Now, don't get me wrong. They have way less firepower than they would, all things considered. Um, but it's tough to watch this game, team just completely, uh, you know, ice themselves out by just not scoring at all. It's it's not a great version of baseball. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. And granted, it's a it's a lineup that is injured and it is dealing with some some problems. But man, it just you know, like today. And granted, again, Tyler O'Neill's out. Harrison Bader's out. They had to scratch Dylan Carlson. Um, that's not the way that we wanted to see this outfield get together. Uh, more prefer <laughs> more prefer them on the field at all. But um, so you got those guys out there. You've got. A catching situation we'll talk about. Um, you have, you know, you have Edmundo Sosa who came into the game or at some point in this game was over his last 20 with 10 strikeouts. And it just felt with Paul Goldschmidt taking a day off, it felt like this was Nolan Arenado. And the B team is too generous <laughs> for what you saw. And, and, you know, they scraped together, they put something together, and it probably helped that they weren't facing Zach Wheeler, but instead, a a bullpen game for the Phillies. But, um, you know, right now it's hard to say what else they can do except wait and hope people get healthy. Yeah. Yeah. Zach Wheeler, who could have been a Cardinal uh, back <laughs> in the day. Anyway, that's a different story entirely. <laughs> no, it's, um, it's, it's, there've been a couple of games in the last week, right? Where the, the lineup that was put out there, you look at it on paper and think, huh, this is what's going to turn things around? I'm not so sure. And then, of course, that's the lineup that wins. That's sort of how baseball is, right? Even mm -hmm. the worst teams in the game are not 0-162. Right, right. <laughs> so they they put together wins. They can beat good pitching. They can take advantage of defensive miscues, whatever the case may be. Um, you know, it's been interesting. I've watched way less baseball in the last season and a half or so than I did for many years prior to that. And I think what I'm finding is that baseball is really, um, it's one of those sports where you want to analyze every detail of every day, right? Mm -hmm. But it's actually really hard to accurately assess every detail of every day. <laughs> right. Because only when you zoom out and you see the game in big chunks, do you really get a feel for uh, what a team is or who they can be or what a player is, right? That's why, you know, we always caveat small sample size, small sample size. But the last kind of zoomed in perspective of this team has looked really bad <laughs> in a lot of ways. It, it'll be the pitching for a couple of weeks, right? And you're like, how is this team with like two and a half starting pitchers ever going to win any series consecutively? And then all of a sudden it's the, the, scoring that just disappears entirely and 
two and a half starting pitchers and a bullpen that has an all-star in the mix have pulled it together enough to keep them in games, even when the offense isn't great. So I guess my point is, I think when you look at it from that zoomed out perspective, it's a little easier to, to, to not get too panicky about the problems from day to day or week to week, but then to look at, okay, what is going on? kind of makes you crazy when the same team that can score six, eight, ten runs on any given night um, gets shut out three or four times in a week and a half. It doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. And that's sort of the the beauty and the curse of baseball, I think. And the Cardinals are in the middle of a stretch where they're challenged because of the limitations of their roster and because they're nearly halfway through the season and everyone's probably feeling it a little bit at this point and you find out who you are maybe not in that that low point but in how you come out of it so uh we'll see i mean the other factor there is that they've went from playing like the reds and the pirates to um you know atlanta and philadelphia who are playoff contending type teams which just presents a bit of a different challenge um certainly so that's part of it as well yeah but you know if you can't beat these teams in june and july then you wonder how you're going to try to beat them in october Um, right because the idea is not just to get there which of course right now the cardinals i guess maybe the object is just to get there because i think they're on the outside looking in even with the expanded postseason right now but um yeah, you know, you're right. I mean, looking at it on a weekly basis, that's why we don't do the show every week, right? Uh-huh. Um, that's that's it. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, totally. That was our that yeah. was our plan there. Yeah, we're just gonna get the broad picture for right. a month or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're. I mean, that is, and it's always been that way. But right. with, and I've talked about this at other places and and with other people, and you and I probably have as well. Um, but with especially with Twitter now, when you can. And with every game on TV, you can, you know, live and die every night <laughs> with, a, you know, a thousand other people or whatever yeah. over every pitch. And if a guy walks it off with a home run against the Cardinals, then everything is terrible and they're never going to win another game. And if the Cardinals walk one off, then this team is resilient and here they go. They're going to win the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and both of those things can happen on back-to-back <laughs> nights. Um so, yeah, we've gotten a little bit into that mindset. And, you know, you're right. This break is going to come at a good time for them. They've still got to get another game with the Phillies, three with the Dodgers. They get three with the Reds at the end of the weekend, which is better than the other guy to you, of course. But, you know, the Reds have played better since that terrible start they had. Yeah. They're still not good, but they've played better. Um And then you get the four days off for most of them. We have some people going to L.A. We can talk about that in a little bit. Um, but especially with these replacements being so young, and I heard Kyle talking about this on the, the talking about birth podcast this week, you know, they're not necessarily used to this daily grind. They're not used Mm, to not only playing that much because they, you know, minor leagues the last year or this year to have the Mondays off. So you're always having some break, but the pressures are different, right? I mean, if you're up Mm -hmm. here, you're really pressing to make sure you stay up here to make sure that you're contributing to this team. And it's not, I mean, I'm sure there's, there's pressure in the minor leagues. Don't get me wrong, but it's also, there's a little bit of a subconscious knowing that 
you're there to learn. You're not necessarily there to learn and win. Right. And in the major leagues, you're there to do both to some degree yeah. now. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting too. I always think about that transition from the minor league pressures to those in the major league, because it, there's not only the, the pressure of sort of expectation of trying to maintain this achievement that you've unlocked by being a big leaguer all of a sudden, instead of the challenges of the minor leagues. But what I've I've found interesting over the years, and I'm sure we've talked about this, in talking to minor league players, they'll tell you, hey, the difference between me and the guys in St. Louis is primarily consistency. It's being able to replicate the success, right? So then when you get that opportunity to move up to that top level, part of the challenge, I think, of that consistency is that... <sighs> In the minor leagues, you know, you're facing maybe one or two pitchers that are going to be top of the rotation kind of pitchers in the big leagues, mm -hmm. right? You, you're facing guys who are playing in defensive positions that they're just trying to learn the position, not necessarily, um, you know, trying to become an all-star at the position right. or whatever it is. And then all of a sudden, it's like, I, I guess maybe this is too simplistic, but I saw guys often when they would be drafted out of high school or even college and at that very like first season, first full season of low A ball, they would sometimes struggle as talented as they were because they were used to being the best player on their team, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? All their life, they'd been the best player on their team. And then they get to the minor leagues where everybody's a professional and they were all the best player on their right, team. Right. And now you're playing with a bunch of guys who are equally, if not more talented, just strictly talented than you are. And, and that's sort of, you find that same adjustment, that same pattern every time you move up a level, right? You, you get used to being, okay, I'm good enough to move up. So I'm one of the best three or four players on this team. And then you get to the very top and you're one of the 1% of the 1%. And so the competition is that much tougher. And I'm not saying anything revolutionary, right? We know that the competition or the talent or the consistency at the big league level is the best of the best it's supposed to be. Um, but when you are young and there is that much pressure put on your shoulders as kind of you're it right now, mm. <laughs> not only are you dealing with the pressures of the expectation, but you're actually just trying to utilize your skill set in an equivalent way to the talent that you've been trying to live up to all your life. Um, and so that adjustment factor continues to be there. I guess, you know, we all talk about there's an adjustment, well, but, uh, you know, part of that adjustment is <laughs> you might not be the best player on your team anymore. And right. you've got to figure out how to make that adjustment even at the big league level. So I think that's part of it. I think part of it too is just that, you know, we've talked for a long time with this team about, oh, we got to let the young guys play. You got to see what you have. Well, that's fine. And it's true. But you also have to then allow for that adjustment period. You have to allow for them to fail in order to figure out what they need to improve. Um, and that's not always a seamless process. In fact, I would say it's rarely <laughs> a seamless <laughs> process. Uh, and you see some of those growing pains along the way as well. So it's a strange roster perhaps at the moment because of the, the absences from the the regulars. Um that the Cardinals have been expecting this season. Um, 
it's a great opportunity for those young guys to have the time to make those adjustments without being sort of yo-yoed in and out of the lineup. <laughs> um, but it, it, it allows for or creates a dynamic that's um, less consistent because they're less consistent at this point in their careers. Yeah. Yeah, that is, that is true. And um, I guess that kind of leads us into maybe the catching situation that we've seen with the Cardinals. Mm, yeah. um, because most notably, I mean, obviously there's been problems with um, Andrew Kidsner and Ivan Herrera were struggling. Um, there's no doubt about that. Um, the Cardinals then send Ivan Herrera down and bring up Austin Romine, who's, you know, a longtime veteran guy, but not necessarily anything bigger with the bat, right? I mean, right. Cardinal catching, and, and it's sadly, even when Yadier Molina was healthy, but especially since he's been out, has been kind of a black hole in this lineup offensively. Um, you know, is that a situation for you that, that Herrera just needed to play at the minor league level more regularly? Um, or, you know, was it just maybe the Cardinals should have just gone ahead and let him and Herrera, I mean, him and Kisner split time up here a little bit more and, and both try to figure it out at the big leagues? You know, it's interesting. The The hype around Herrera has been very real. Mm-hmm. And the conversation has been, wow, he's sort of ahead of, of his age. Uh, he's he's going to be ready sooner rather than later, that sort of thing. Um, I found Ollie Marmel's comments, and I didn't see all of them, but I saw some of the comments uh, regarding sending Herrera down. I found him to be very interesting and quite telling um, that we're basically like, there's a lot that he still needs to learn. <laughs> Things yeah. are different here. And maybe he's not quite ready for it. And I didn't find that to be, you know, sort of a a put down of any kind, but more of just an explanation kind of of what I was just alluding to, that he got to a new level and realized, oh, these guys know a lot more than I do. (laughs) (laughs) And whether it was knowing more about the players in the league, knowing more about the pitchers on your team or the hitters on the other team, you know, whatever it is, because that position in particular requires just a ton of knowledge and of preparation. And that's one of the things that I think is often undersold about Yadier Molina because it doesn't show up on a, on a stat sheet anywhere. Right. Um, and so it sounded to me and seemed like there could have been a, a, a period of a feeling overwhelmed or underprepared for the extensiveness of that role as a major league catcher every day for a team that's trying to win. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. there's there's a difference there in what you're doing at the minor leagues and learning as you go and what you're expected to be able to handle once you get into that role. So, you know, I don't know that to me, um, with very limited perspective on the Herrera dynamic, I don't know that it was a matter of, well, if he, if he just has more time, he can adjust as a hitter. I think it was more, Hey, as a, as a catcher of this major league team, there's some stuff he doesn't quite have a handle on yet. And he just needs time to maybe wrap his head around um, that a little bit more in uh, um, just the growth perspective of what he needs to be before he's totally ready for that um now that may have been the the company line (laughs) we never Mm -hmm. really know (laughs) the uh sincerity of what we're told in those interactions versus what the real reason is for things um 
do I think that there would be value in letting him kind of figure it out at the big leagues? Sure. Um, I think that opportunity, though, is inherently different for a catcher for the St. Louis Cardinals in 2022 versus a catcher for, uh, as you mentioned, the Cincinnati Reds or even mm-hmm. the Chicago Cubs in 2022, who are, without announcing it so directly, they're not really aiming for <laughs> um, you know, a World Series title this year. So right. they have the flexibility of saying, hey, you're going to make some mistakes. You're going to feel overwhelmed at times, but this is a chance for you to figure it out on the biggest stage. They don't have that sort of opportunity um, in in this season like maybe other young guys would have. So I think it makes sense to me. Herrera got a taste. They saw kind of what worked and what didn't. And then maybe could send him to Memphis with some very specific things to work towards or to, you know, focus on differently. Um, With Romine, the thing is, with a longtime veteran guy, you kind of know what he is. Yeah. (laughs) Right? You're You're not bringing him up there to see how he will handle it. You kind of know what it is. And you know what you're going to get. And there's a reason that he's kind of bounced around and isn't... Um, you know, the starting catcher anywhere and, and those sorts of things. And that's, he's still, even in that is still the 1% of the 1% as a major leaguer. Right. right, um, right. So it's not like he's a, a waste of a roster spot or anything. It's just a different dynamic when you're used to having someone who does so many little things so well, like Yadier Molina does. Now, none of those guys, Andrew Kisner, Ivan Herrera, Austin Romine, or Yadier Molina are really like your offensive firepower. Right. <laughs> so right. the the expectations there, I think, I don't know. There, I think you hope for um, above average contributions from that spot because it's uh, you know a part of the lineup that really can turn into a black hole at times. Mm-hmm. Um, but none of those guys are making or breaking the Cardinals offensively right now, except for, as you mentioned, a healthy Yadier Molina can, not always is, but can be the spark to an offense when things are going well. I don't think you're really going to get that from any of those other three guys. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of sort of disappointment around Andrew Kisner at this point because he yeah. hasn't turned into more of an offensive threat. I think there are a lot of, we could talk about that for a long time, but, you know, did he stay at Memphis too long? Did he not play enough the last couple of years? Uh, You know, whatever it is. Um, I'm sure everyone has an opinion and everyone thinks that there's a different, different blame to be placed somewhere for ruining Andrew Kisner. Um, But he just isn't putting it together when he has the the opportunities. Um, Maybe you just let him roll with it and see if he figures out any consistency, if it's day in and day out. Um, but I, I guess that's my only sort of question in terms of what they're doing with that spot is like, what are you, what are you actually looking for? Because I don't know that anyone expects Austin Romine to suddenly be a better offensive option than Andrew Kisner. Um, and Kisner knows the pitching staff better 
so what's the advantage of bromide? Is it just days off? I, I don't know. That's where it gets a little hairy for me uh, in my very long-winded way of saying, I think sending Herrera down is understandable. Um, if you're trying to not let him learn on the job and cost you um, important opportunities or moments in the process. But what advantage does Andrew Kisner have or not have over Austin Romine when they're both sort of in that position of, we kind of know what they are right now and neither one of them is going to save the day. I think it's kind of interesting. And it, uh, there's a lot of different things there. One, it's a little bit interesting that Romine's played as much as he has. Um, because I expected when they switched him around, it's like, okay, we're going to let Kisner play and Romine's going to be this right. guy that plays, you know, day games after night games or, you know, once it, and Romine's gotten into, I think he started four games now this week, um, which is, you know, really over 50%, I guess. Um counting today but i also wonder again neither one of these are guys are are big hitters but i wonder if the cardinals would have had more patience with either one of those guys if the offense was clicking i mean yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna dip into the examples that you appreciate the most but it kind of has not the same feel because i don't think these guys are getting replaced or anything but it reminds me somewhat of the Mark Ellis Colton Wong bit, right? You know, mm-hmm. they bring in Colton Mark Ellis, he's going to be this backup, and then all of a sudden he's playing all the time because Wong's struggling. But the whole team is struggling, right? And Wong gets to blame for it to some degree. He goes to the minors because you can't send everybody to the minors, and, you know, you could, you know, that's just, you had to do something. Right. But if, you know, if eight guys are clicking, you can let Colton Wong and his glove be out there. It's that idea of Yadier Molina can hit zero and they'll carry him. That's true <laughs> if everybody else is hitting, you know, that kind of stuff. So you wonder if the lineup had been more consistent, if they would have. I think Herrera would probably goes down anyway, because I think we've seen some interesting decisions this year, like Jake Woodford, who was being successful at the major league level and still got sent down because he wasn't being successful at a sustainable way, at least according to the, the, the club. Right. Um, and so if they think Herrera needs the, the work, they'd have sent him down, I think anyway. But I wonder if that decision was going to be, would have been a little harder to make had the, you know, the rest of the lineup been going on, going well, and they could say, hmm, well, that major league experience does help him out. I don't know. It'd be interesting. Yeah. I mean, we don't know that, but I feel like some of the decisions like that do get, you know, the, the rest of the team, plays a role in that even though maybe that shouldn't no i think that's fair i mean we've said that about colton long we've said that about harrison bader we've said that mm-hmm. about yadier molina there i mean there's plenty of examples of that being the case and you know i think that's one of those things that we zoom in really tightly on one guy and what he is or isn't doing um when we also spend a lot of time talking. We have at times, I have a lot talking about how uh, like a pitcher win is a weird stat because it really depends so heavily on the other guys on the field, right? The same thing is said for any win in any game is that, you know, does one player not driving in a run with somebody in scoring position make or break the entirety of the game in in any significant way i don't know it's it's hard to um it's hard to not look at the 
pieces of the lineup where you're like, there's no production here right. <laughs> and not look at individual players. Um, but I think that kind of macro perspective is exactly what you're saying that, you know, if you look at the rest of the lineup, if it's doing what it's supposed to, then that spot doesn't matter. Um, and that's why <laughs> the overall tends to be a, a harder thing to manage than any one individual player because it relies so heavily on guys doing what they're supposed to do, which uh, actually in the game of baseball happens less often um, than like any other sport. Cause there's a lot of failure in this game, um, which is just sort of how well, it, it works. And yeah. then, you know, the success is rare, but completely necessary to a team also having success so well, and it's such a long season that yeah you know, we've seen that we've seen it a lot we saw and it was paul goldschmidt right who had a you know okay april and then you know had just you know just destroyed the league in, in may right, right. and it's been good in june and it's sliding a little bit nolan arnado same type of thing yeah. um you know they just people aren't going to be on their game from game one to game 162 that just that doesn't happen and right. the problem is when two or three of those especially main cogs get cold at the same time <laughs> yeah. then it then it becomes an issue as well well you know and we're not necessarily seeing that that's not really the issue right now i mean nolan Ronaldo's hitting like 400 in you know the 10 games we've had here in july or something like that and paul goldschmidt hasn't hit a home run in a while but he's still producing i mean there's still stuff around there but you know, there's just not enough to go with it. And um, you'd really like to see Tyler O'Neill back and hitting it the way he could hit. I think that would make just, just that one piece might yeah. make a, a significant difference. Um, two things to hit on before we end tonight. One, Albert Pujols homers today, uh, home run number 684. Um, I feel like it's very interesting with Pujols right now but I think that I feel like every time he does something, especially something like hit a home run, you have to at least give consideration to the fact it's the last time he does it. Right. Um, I, you know, he hit those four home runs, what in April or something and hadn't hit one since he started to wonder if, well, is he ever going to get it back (laughs) and hits one today, but you know, you can't guarantee that you're going to see that again. So you got to appreciate it every time it happens. Yeah. You know, I will admit the beginning of the season when every Albert Pujols at bat was this like soliloquy about uh, (laughs) how close he is to 700 home runs and how it came back and, you know, all these, it got a little irritating just because it was like, yeah, okay, it's cool, but you're ruining it (laughs) by making it the biggest thing to ever happen in the history of the world every time he steps to the plate. But you also do have a point that at this point, it's like, okay, what what does one half of one season look like mm-hmm. in the remainder of an Albert Pujols career? And there is significance to those moments that he can recreate. I will say I've, I've watched with a, a twinge of – I don't know what the right word is for the exact emotion, but almost like thinking of what could have been seeing Mm -hmm. him in St. Louis and having these moments where it's like, Oh, he's back. We get to do this again. 
10 years later. <laughs> right. And thinking of how many more moments there could have been, how many more walk-off home runs there could have been in those things. So there's a little bit of that with every one of those that we see now. But I think the biggest thing for me in watching those Pujols moments this season has been realizing that I think because the game of baseball just moved on once he left St. Louis um, and his best years were behind him, it's easy to kind of forget temporarily how incredible he was for those years Mm. in St. Louis. So my dad and I were even talking today and I was saying, it's wild to me how he's he's older, he's slower, he doesn't quite have the same power or the same, you know, so many things, right? But when he gets a hold of one, the swing still looks so much the same that it's like, wow, what <laughs> what am I watching? How did I just get transported in time? What time machine do you have? Um, and that's pretty cool. And something that I think all of those different pieces of the Albert Pujol story aside. It's cool for people like me who really kind of fell in love with the game during the beginning of the Albert Pujols era. And, you know, he was, I was devastated when he left St. Louis because he was, he was the guy, he was my team's guy. (laughs) And, you know, so it's kind of cool to, get a chance to relive some of those emotions and to see him despite the absence for the last decade, um, getting the, the sort of farewell tour with those moments in front of those fans who really brought him into this league with the, the success that he found early on. I think you could make a case. It's, I don't know if it's the ideal situation, but the way that Albert Pujols' career has gone for, for Cardinal fans might almost be the ideal situation. Um, they got the 10, 11 really good years of his career. Yeah. They get this farewell tour and a chance to have some magical ones. You know, they miss out on 500 and 600 home runs and 3,000 hits, and that's, that is sad. I would have liked to have seen that. But I also wonder what... Albert Pujols, if he stays in St. Louis, you know, in 2017 when he's struggling and Cardinal fans are like, this guy needs to retire. We can't get this. You know, (laughs) the Cardinals can't go out and trade for a Paul Goldschmidt because Albert Pujols is is still Mm. declining, but holding down first base because you can't get rid of of Albert Pujols at first base, you know, not after, you know, 18 years in in this league. Um, And I think except for the vitriol that he had when he left because of how he left, you know, for the most part, Albert misses all of that, that daily. Why is this guy out there? This guy's just a shell of what he was. You know, the best thing was for for Cardinal fans is he went out to LA and we never had to see him again, you know? (laughs) And I was like, Oh, Albert Pujols is great. You know? And then, then you look, you know, he, five years later look at his stats and you're like oh maybe he's not great anymore yeah Um, yeah so no i think that's a very fair point and i think in terms of the kind of bookends of his career he does kind of get the best of that and cardinals fans don't have the memory of watching him struggle 
in the years that he did. And that's not not to say he had no success in uh, in Los Angeles, but it was different. It certainly wasn't the kind of success that he had in those first 11 years. And to then be able to just, just give the, um, the standing ovations and the, the celebratory kind of career closing (laughs) moments back to Cardinals fans. You may have a point there that, that, that may be actually a better scenario than having him kind of, mixing those he's the hero of the city emotions with mm-hmm. he's a waste of a roster spot emotions which happens i mean right. that's happened in years with yadier molina and with you know so it's mm-hmm. not nobody's immune to that <laughs> at that phase of their career so that that part of it is is definitely true you just i think the only thing that would have made it better is if he was at like 692 right coming this year you know so it was only like seven or eight that he needs instead of like what was it it's it was like 21 right that yeah. he needed to get yeah. to and he's not going to get there he's not going right. to get he's not going to get to pass he's not going to pass alex rodriguez or anything like that yeah so if it had been just a little bit closer if he hadn't been hurt some of that time in mm-hmm. la where he could have gotten just two or three more home runs here or there you know then you could have at least had that moment where he hit 700 and it been a big a big deal for Cardinal fans, but right. you know, overall, you know, it's not, you couldn't tell 2011 or 2012 me that this is the ideal way of going about it. But, right. uh, <laughs> you know, I think in hindsight, it, if it's not ideal, it's really, it's really close. I think yeah. to some degree. Um, also, as we talked about, the all-star break is coming up and the Cardinals have four representatives going to um, the game out in LA um, Paul Goldschmidt gets in, gets voted in. Um, Nolan Arenado almost got voted in, and he goes as a backup. Ryan Helsley gets to make his first uh, All Star appearance, and then they're doing a legend spot for Albert Pujols, and of course uh, Miguel Cabrera on the other side, which I think is excellent for especially for uh, an exhibition like the All Star Game. So four Cardinals going. I guess it's possible that depending on pitching situations, that maybe a, a Michaelis or a Wainwright could sneak in if, if some people don't go, but um, Four's pretty solid reputation rep, representation, I think, for this team. Yeah, and I think it's it's guys who all really deserve it um, mm-hmm. for the performances that they've put out there. I think the Ryan Helsley inclusion is really cool because he's somebody that I don't know. I guess the last couple of years it has felt like they're trying to figure out how best to utilize him. And he would go through stretches where it was really effective and then stretches where it was like, I don't know, this is a good idea, (laughs) Uh, which is kind of how relievers are. Right. Um, Right. But I think it's cool to see him have that opportunity um, in a season where he's had to pitch some really big innings and the, the names that you might have expected more out of have had some inconsistencies. Um, So I think it's cool to see him get that opportunity and, you know, if somebody else gets added in the next week because people decide not to go or whatever it might be, there there could be more there. But I think those are all very worthy inclusions in an all-star game. And I, I, I'll i be honest, I didn't even realize that the, the legacy pick thing was a thing until it happened. And then I spent entirely too long trying to figure out what the <laughs> legacy pick was. Um, but I think it's cool. I think it's a, a great addition, like you said, to an exhibition that's really there to showcase 
the things that make the game great. And so often it is those guys who've been around for just ages and maybe aren't the MVP caliber players that they once were, but they still have a really significant place in um, the the hearts and the minds of baseball fans. And I think it's a, a fun addition to um, this year's all-star game and, and going forward to see who they add in those spots. Yeah, I can't. Al and I talked about it a bit on, on this week's show, but I, I can't imagine they're going to do that every year just because I don't think there's going to be people every year for that spot. Right. Um, but I think it gives you a chance to, you know, now that you've done it, you can pull it out whenever you need to. Right. And, um, you know, hopefully that'll allow for some people's careers to be, to really be celebrated, especially in the last couple of years where they're not really all-star caliber but they should still be on the, on the big stage because of what they've done right all right uh tara and i will be in st louis this weekend that uh, we get to do our annual blogger day and grill john mosaic with all sorts of questions um most of which he just kind of sort of answers but we pretend uh <laughs> it's my favorite my favorite right. game is how is john mosaic not gonna answer this question <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mine is uh, what kind of insult is he going to throw at me when I ask that, that question? Um, yeah. <laughs> so he always seems to have some sort of comment for me. Um, but anyways, I don't know. I didn't. We we didn't set up before we started this if we will try to do a show next week or not. But if not, uh, we'll get back at you after the All Star break. But until till next time, for Tara, I'm Daniel. Good night. Hey, Cardinals fans! Thanks for listening to this week's show. If you liked what you heard, you can find us on iTunes. Just search Gateway to Baseball Heaven under Podcasts and click subscribe. While you're there, feel free to give us five of those little gold stars or even a quick review. And tune in next time as we break down another week in Baseball Heaven.